are listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. Welcome one, welcome all. If this is the first time you're watching the show, where have you been? This is the place to be. And if you're a returning viewer, as always, we appreciate each and every single one of you who keep the show alive. Thank you guys for tuning in. And we have another phenomenal episode planned out just for all of you. But first of all, for all of you who may be new and may be wondering what is Changing Reality, Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality and through this show we have the opportunity to chat and speak to brilliant brilliant minds from social change makers entrepreneurs top business leaders uh industry leaders to even artists musicians uh, executives and inspiring individuals from all across the world and many of whom had spent some time here on the pen campus as well and by hearing these inspiring stories on how they have gone out there and taken the world by storm, hopefully we'll be able to pick up a little bit of nuggets of wisdoms that we can use in our own journey and in the process of us figuring out what we love as well. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like that there are so many people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them simply by living their dreams. And I wanted to make sure that these stories get out there because as someone who has been fortunate to have a lot of these conversations, they have made the world of difference to me. And I'm super passionate about covering these stories for other people so that they can have that same, I would say, edge that I've been fortunate to have. And stories have been what has propelled me in everything that I do. Just to share with you how much it's actually changed my life listening to other people's stories. I actually founded and run a youth movement back at home uh, in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, called Ascendance, that today collaborates with not just our Malaysian Ministry of Education, but with over 28 countries and global education partners to provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them through hands-on activities, and eventually even start their own careers while they're just in school. That creates meaningful impact not just for themselves, but for those around them too. And we've been so fortunate over the last seven years to work with over 35,000 kids, 970 over communities, and as I said, 28 over countries to help countless number of students start their own social projects and social enterprises that again are run by kids as young as 8 to 25 years old and the backing behind that the reason they've been able to do all of it is stories it's because of kind individuals who have been willing to come out here share their experiences share what they got right share the lessons that they had along the way so that others may learn from and just like that, I hope that this show is that same platform for all of you so that you guys, future shakers and makers, can hopefully pick up the things that you need from these conversations and apply them in your own life in the phenomenal things that you'll be doing too. So if you have any questions, any experiences, or any topics that you want to talk about, any industries that you want to explore, let us know. And we'll try our best to bring into an, uh, this show an aspect of what you guys want to talk about as well. 
And just like that, today we have someone who I personally am so inspired by. She has done some absolutely crazy and brilliant things. And I'm so, so, uh, I would say, excited to have her on the show to speak with you guys today. She's an experienced, mission-driven product leader with a track record of success across early, mid, and late-stage global companies. She has, I would say, made her mark on global organizations from Meta, fan favorites like New York Times, Do Something Org, and so many others in a way. With a deep background in creating, delivering, and optimizing computer uh, consumer experiences uh, in service of strategic business outcomes, our speaker has a master's degree in digital storytelling from Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism and an MBA in strategic management uh, of tech operations from NYU Stern. And most importantly, and I would say the best, she actually started out as an undergrad here at Penn and began her journey in journalism at the Daily Pennsylvania. She then uh, had an array of brilliant experiences, traveled across continents, eventually climbing the corporate ladder as well to top roles, and served in an array of, of, I would say, remarkable positions from the director of product management at the New York Times, leading product at Meta, the chief product officer at DoSomething.org, and today is excelling fabulously as the vice president of product at the Walt Disney Company. So without further ado, I know you're all the edge of your seats. Let's welcome our speaker for today, Nicole, onto our virtual stage. Hi Hello, there. Nicole. How are you? How's your day going so far? I'm doing so great. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. And I, I got chills just hearing about, you know, talk about I, I'm driven by storytelling. I'm driven by impact. And um, I'm so inspired by the work that you're doing, Harsha. I am so delighted to be here. Um, today on this this virtual stage with you, and um, uh, hopefully my story can help inspire um, those listeners who are here uh, today. So delighted to be here. Well, thank you very much. And as I said, it is an honor to talk to you. Um, I think everyone in college is very lost and confused. And as someone who right now is writing for the Daily Pennsylvania, when you said that hmm, you used to do that when you were on campus, it just made me think that me and my very confused lost friends who are panicking over this small little project um, could use a little bit of inspiration from someone like you who have been in the shoes that we are in right now because to look at someone like you and think oh my gosh i want to be like you some like one day is in itself a, a huge inspiration but to have your story shared with us um, from all across the world from all walks of life i think that goes above and beyond so as i said really appreciate it um have you ever been lost and confused in your life it does not seem like something in your vocabulary you you again nail the top job everywhere excel phenomenally travel literally across the world you do not seem like you were ever the confused college student that that most of us are i I love that you say that, but boy was I, boy did I have my moments of being so lost and confused. I, um, so I think like what I would say is like embrace, you know, embrace the uncertainty, like, you know, soak yourself in it. So what I did, um, I feel like so many of my friends, you know, at Penn, I felt like had this master plan that when they graduated, they were going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a pres the president of the United States or whatever it is. And again, I think Penn is so incredible because you know, you, you know, how great that you can go to a school like Penn and how what privilege we have to feel like, wow, I can leave the school and I can be 
anything I want to be. Um, the pressure of that is almost like crushing at times, you know, and I, you know, I myself, I left Penn and, you know, I had, I had some internships that I had done before um, at different publications. Um, so I had the sense, you know, maybe that journalism was a path for me forward. Um, I now work in product. I didn't even know what product, you know, was. Um, so if someone told me then that I would be, I would find my way into product management, I, I, I wouldn't even know what that even meant. So, um, but then I, um, I also worked in, you know, different clinics working. My, my parents are both psychologists. So I thought maybe that was something that I would do. But all this to say, I didn't, I didn't leave and um, I didn't leave Penn and say, oh, this is, this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, uh, when I, when I left, um, my, my family, uh, they own some, some bars in, in New York City. And when many of my friends were um, going to work corporate jobs, I, I worked, um, I worked in, 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 in the bars doing some bartending, um, just meeting people, you know, um, and ultimately said, you know what, I, I actually, I want to really embrace this um, lostness that I was feeling and really um, find my way on my own terms. So I actually, I did a study abroad at um, University of Sydney, love Sydney. Um, I just love the whole vibe of um, Australia and, and, and the beaches, you know, very different to what I, I had known and experienced in New York. And I just said, you know what, let me go somewhere where I really don't know people, don't have any connections and just trust the process, trust myself and know that I'm going to find my way out of this and I'm going to find myself. Um, so that's what I, so, so I was lost and I made myself super lost by taking everything I knew and turning it way upside down and moved there without a job. Um, I had one friend that I knew from, uh, UPenn who was over there and then I, I just made my way. And I think it's, it, it, you know, I, I grew so much in that time of my life. That is insane. I mean, one of the favorite lines I have from from like any movies about this girl who goes to live in Paris and, and she always has this, they always have this dramatic lines like, go for a walk, like if you're lost and confused, go for a walk in Paris until you meet yourself. And, and it's always nice and poetic, but I'm sure it's much more chaotic in real life in a sense. And you moving to, to Australia for, for, for some time abroad as part of your program, having only one friend there. Tell me what it's like landing in a different country. Again, knowing only one person in the whole space, not knowing exactly what was your next move or not knowing exactly what you were going to go see and experience and try out and all of that. Where do you even start? Like, like, don't you feel like, like any fear or any like, like worry about it? Oh yeah. Um, panic, um, <laughs> moments of like, what did I just do? Um, I, um, there was a lot of, a lot that scared me and I, I felt a lot of fear in that moment but I think the other side of fear is like growth and um, change and I think not letting yourself get held back by the fear um, is what's really key and what I did is I'd allow myself my little moments of, of, of panic um, and then I would say how do I how do I turn this into a problem that I can solve and what I would do is I would go to these um, internet cafes. Um, I don't even know that I had a computer um, when I when I first landed there. Maybe I did. Um, uh, back I, I used I, I had we didn't even have iPhones. So so uh, you know I went to these um, internet cafes, and I would look at job listings and I would just hang out there, 
And I would spend like two hours, you know, or what, whatever it was, at least like concentrated chunks of time, um, two hours, then I'd come back and then spend, you know, two hours more and just reach out to people. And even if there weren't job listings and I was like, wow, that, that what they're doing, you know, I would read, I, I was a, I was a journalism geek. So I would read, I would immerse myself in the news and then I would find someone who was writing about things that were really interesting to me or publications I really liked. And I would cold email people, um, which scared me. You know, I would, I would also say to myself, oh, what are they, what are they going to think about this like random person? Um, you know, this random American girl who's, who's totally emailing me out of the blue, but I was just, I would, I would just hustle. And, um, so that's what I would say is like when you're scared, you know, like give yourself moments of grace and allow yourself to go for that walk, but also know that, you know, part of the end of the journey is like hustling and finding your way out of it. You know, I don't think I ever had sort of like a big aha moment, like in a quiet reflection, my ahas came from, from, you know, blood, sweat and tears. And, and basically, um, you know, if at first I didn't succeed, if someone didn't write back to me, I would follow up and I would say like, always follow up, you know, and, uh, and I, I, I made some lucky breaks along the way. Um, okay, that's, I think you also started your journalism career a little bit over there, right? I think you were at Fairfax Media, um, which again is, is crazy. I mean, people struggle finding a job in their in their own country. And then you go, you cold email, you hustle and you get your, your, your first career. How is it like starting again in journalism, which is so high paced, so, so really, I would say like some, like it's for the people who are on top of the news. They literally are the people providing the news for the rest of us. How's it like going into a career like this again in some place which you you're not a hundred percent familiar with? Um it was really it was challenging, but I think like for me, again, I kind of thrive a little bit being a little being uncomfortable, you know. Um for me, being a journalist in Australia, I, I was also what they call like a stringer, a freelance journalist. And I would go to different neighborhoods to cover stories, you know, local stories in Hornsby or Parramatta, um, these different different neighborhoods. Um, and it, it was my way of kind of experiencing this new country around me and, and immersing myself in those stories and, and learning this new culture. So while it was like challenging and that I didn't have the shorthand, it was something that I was so deeply, I think, you know, um, for me, I think I would always say like, know your superpower as like a human, like what you're good at and what, what wakes you up in the morning. And I think I am just one of those like innately curious people and I'm curious about people. I think empathy is, is a big, a big part of who I am and what's driven me forward. And I think that's what I brought. That's what I brought to Penn. That's what I brought um, to Australia. And that's what propels me forward in my career today. But, you know, nowhere was that more pronounced than it in Australia, where I felt totally out of my comfort zone. And my way, my way forward was just, just being curious and, um, and, and using that as actually a strength to say that I have, I have fresh eyes. Everything that I'm seeing is with fresh eyes and using, using that as my lens to, to tell stories. That is beautifully put. Like, like really, I, I, you make. I think you make all of our journalism majors want to move to a different country and, and again, like, like take up that challenge. You also spent some time in Southeast Asia backpacking. Am, am I right? 
and I know Southeast Asia. If, if I could pick a tougher place, a, a toughish place to go, it would be Southeast Asia. I, as someone who lives, born, bred, and and is still is right now in Southeast Asia, still struggle with navigating Southeast Asia. So I can only imagine how how tough it was for you again, flying literally literally halfway across the country, sorry, halfway across the world, into the space in a way. How was it like again doing the backpackers experience coming in? Um, really, essentially, the, the the bootstrap of travel and and tr- and exploring this new entire world in a way. It was so cool. I mean, just to live a different life, you know, that's so dramatically different. You know, walking through rice fields in Vietnam and having like one dollar like pad thai in Thailand and. Um, sleeping in youth hostels, which is actually kind of crazy to think that I, I I would sleep in these rooms with like 20 other people. And, you know, my my older self was like, was that safe? Should I have done that? Um, you know, did, did my mother know what I, I was I was getting myself up to in, the, in, in that time? But, you know, I think, um, you know, when I think about like my own personal growth, um, you know, it was a, a real time of just seeing the world you know, different places of the world. Australia in one way, you know, while it's halfway around the world. Um, and, and uh, you know, obviously a very different country. Um, felt more familiar. I think Southeast Asia, you live, you go there and you see, you know, I went to Cambodia, for example, where people were directly affected recently by like genocide in the Khmer Rouge. You know, I met people who were, grew up as orphans because of the atrocities that happened there. And it just humbles you in a different way and, and kind of really shakes up. It shook up my, my worldview. And um, I think for me and in my twenties, it was, you know, one of the most powerful things I could do to just really like, uh, you know, see the world and see all the different people that live in the world and, you know, what people face in their lives, which is, you know, very different problems than kind of, you know, the pro- the problems that sometimes this, the, scare- the scariness that I felt, you know, when I arrived in Australia, um, people have have um, other kinds of scares that they live with in, in their world. And I think that also really gave me perspective to view, you know, whatever I'm struggling with in, in my life, you know, hearing what other people have struggled with and how they've, the, I, I mean, I was, I was, brought to tears by just how resilient and positive, like in Cambodia in particular, um, the people are who have just suffered um, such horrifying and terrible loss. So I I, um, I, I, I think it's it's just, pa- stories are powerful. Um, and I think I, my, my travel experience just um, was was really great in that sense. And also I had fun, you know, like young people, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about so much serious stuff, but like, you know, um, I was, I, I should say myself, like at Penn, I was a kind of serious kid, you know, um, I had my fun, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I was always like very academic and, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, not having a job and backpacking and just, just like going to a party on a beach and um, being like a kid as it were, you know, it was just like, uh, it was a really, really, cool to do that. And I would highly suggest, you know, I think, I think we work so hard, you know, people, you know, um, no doubt anyone who goes to Penn, like, 
You, you yeah, you think years for pen? Oh gosh, we were like, okay. You putting your time, like, you know, Harsha, like I, you know, I'm sure like just the hustle that you have brought to 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 get to Penn and the hustle that you bring every day to like to to continue to thrive and in the fast-paced, you know, rigorous academic environment that is UPenn, which is incredible. But um, you know, I think I think too much we go from one high-powered thing to the next high-powered thing and we don't take the breaths in between. And I think something, and something by the way that I, I even do now, like before I go from one job to the next, I always bake in a break for myself because it's it's just so key to really like smell the roses. And um, yeah, for me, Southeast Asia, not only like meeting different people, seeing the world, being truly humbled by, by what I experienced, but also just having fun and letting go of the the pressures that we face, you know, as young people, it was just, it was, it was huge for me. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that my whole theme for today has been the importance of having fun. I was talking to some company people and, and they were in, on a talk I, I, at a MNC today. And then essentially the message that I was trying to get them to take away, it was on, it was on kids and, and family and, and bringing that conversation to the workspace. And one of the main kind of conclusions of that whole session is let your kids have fun and <laughs> let them experience things for the fun of experiencing it because that builds, that, that makes them naturally curious and it builds them and it gets them to do things. And I think that we often forget that, as you said, when by the time you get to college and university and, and, and you, you're you in kind of this really high pressured environment that, that I think that steam and that, that ends up being kind of locked in your brain kind of affects the way we think about things. And I really agree with that whole idea of that sometimes you just need to have fun. You just got to relax. You just got to put yourself out there in these amazing, brilliant situations and, and, and experience life in a sense, as you said. I'm very curious because you are a very well-traveled person. I can see from you the way that you answer. Your, you've got a very enlightened perspective on a lot of these things. People often say good writers are from those who are well-traveled, well-experienced. Um, others say that writing gives you a different perspective when you are traveling and when you are experiencing things. So there's a little bit of a paradox there in a sense. Have there ever been any particular experiences or stories that made you reflect on, on your ability to, to kind of like bring the story out there and present it to the community? Anything that made you see the importance or the power of your journalism? Yeah, that's, it's so interesting. I think that there's so much. Um, I think, you know, it's it's an interesting thing as you're mentioning it. Like, and there's so much, journalism is about objectivity and at its core. And I think what's hard is people inherently have subjective points of view. Um, and this was something actually I was fascinated by at Penn and did did some, uh, we had these master's theses. I don't know if you, you, you all still do those now, but um, this was something that really fascinated me just of how people tell stories and um, what's what's in the eye of one one person as ob objective may totally be different to someone else um, based on just the own their own lens that they bring to the world. And I think um, you know I think stories are you know, um, definitely go through like the lens of a person. They go through institutions too. 
And I think this, this for me, um, this is a longer winded way of saying, but I, you know, I think for me, what was really fascinating, I went to Australia during George Bush's presidency. And I, um, you know, I think the presidency too, seeing how it was covered from like an American political context versus like an Australian lens, you know, was fascinating to me. And I think um, what I would say to that is just, you know, countries, individuals, perspectives, always shape storytelling. And I think that's what's so cool. I think that's what's so cool. What I'm fascinated by is digital media. Um, and, you know, uh, John Milton used to say that journalism, you know, in different publications were, were, were this marketplace of ideas, which is a concept that I'm fascinated with. And I think the internet globalization has, you know, totally democratized this sort of um, marketplace of ideas and totally in, in, in brand new different ways. And what I always try to do is, um, especially with like the polarization that's happening in this world where you have like left and right, um, I always try to read different publications and immerse myself in that marketplace of ideas, read what different thinkers have to say. Um, and in that way, try to find my own kind of, my own form of truth, you know, through it all. That's, that's what it's all about. So I don't know if that directly answered your question, but I think um, I think, I think you have a better answer than whatever I could expect. <laughs> You're too kind. You're too kind. But, but I really like that, and I, and I completely agree. And I love that story you shared about seeing one one experience that was happening in the U.S. and looking at it from from a different news point of view, from a different country's point of view, in a sense, and and how that that really tells us a lot about storytelling. I, I agree. I think in a world where increasingly we we tend to disagree we kind of forget that there's a, a i wouldn't say a beauty in disagreement i mean i would say that but that there is kind of a that people disagree because they have different stories behind them they have different contexts and they have different experiences that shape that and i think understanding that is half the fun more than fighting about it in a way so so i really like that answer and i and i'm i'm sorry go ahead you want to say something I was just knowing that this is a Penn audience too. You know, my one of my theses um, at Penn was really about um, that cognitively. I, I studied um, cognitive psych as an undergrad, and I think cognitively, actually, it's a really fascinating thing that you would think that we act like um, judges when we process information to say, "Oh, here's here's argument A and here's argument B." You know, which one should I? Which one should I subscribe to? But actually, we act like lawyers cognitively. Like we have, we actually have our own sort of interest. And even if you tell me, you know, here's argument A or argument B, I have, for whatever re reason, an interest, a preconceived interest. And I think where we can be better as people is always, you know, to to recognize actually we're not, you know, we don't think like judges. Like when I say, especially when I say something that is could be triggering to a lot of, to different people, whether it's, um, you know, like hot, hot button issues, you know, you say, say abortion to different people in the country, it's, you know, immediately going to trigger different responses. And I think people, people can benefit from hearing all sorts of different perspectives. So they, they can be better and, and understand where different people are, are coming from. 
Um, you, that is very interesting. One of the, the things I wanted to bring into this conversation is how different products in the new space are shaped based on that understanding in a sense. You not only dabble in the world of journalism yourself, but you also again have that perspective of developing products in a sense, developing strategy, looking at, at different consumer bases and bringing that into the conversation. How do you think news organizations, or in your experience, organizations in general, are structured based on that, in a sense, on, on catering to specific audience or, or trying to educate new audiences? How do, how do organizations and companies go about thinking of developing their products in this, in this context? Yeah, I think products, you know, for me, products is all about, like, uh, developing strategies to engage different audiences. So it's not really like a one size fits all, but thinking about, you know, whatever you're building, who are you trying to reach and how do you, how do you do so um, with the most informative, delightful um, product experience that could possibly exist. So really about, yeah, um, really about thinking of, thinking of people and understanding you know what are their what are their pain points and making the news consumption experience as positive as possible you know one thing um and just to be to provide a more specific example when i was at the new york times my uh last role there was really focused on the different engagement levers um the new york times has and uh one of the big levers of course is um tools we have to reach our audience like newsletters push notifications um, and newsletters was a really exciting, uh, in, in particular, a really exciting product um, to work on because a lot of people said, you know, newsletters are dead. Young people don't read, don't read their email. And, you know, for me, there was all this evidence, you know, um, to the contrary, you know, the, the skim was um, really gaining a lot of steam at the time. And, you know, I think also just news can be really inundating. And if you provide relevant formats where the news can come to you in a really like snackable, informative, not this, you know, bloated sort of experience with content you've already read, but something that's truly valuable and unique, um, it can provide a real service to you in your life. And that's that's really that's and and long story short, we we dramatically grew the um audience uh and also, and also business impact of newsletters in my time there. And it was really about putting people first and thinking about different products for different segments um, of people and audiences and packaging uh, the news through those newsletters in really delightful ways. So um, it was a lot of fun. That is, that is really cool. And, and first of all, I do agree that many people do think that the Gen Z aren't the newsletter type. I personally cried yesterday when I got locked out of my email. So like, I can't relate, but um, uh, no, I definitely see why people think about that. In, in a role like this in an organization that, as I, as I said earlier, is very much kind of like very fast paced. And, and, and again, very like everyone has an opinion of, of what this segment needs and what that segment needs and how these people are reacting. How do you make the right strategy decisions? How do you find the truth behind kind of the data, the information that's coming in? Because on one hand, again, everyone right now, I think all around the world um, is not is not used to this world of social media, fast information of, of getting so much info at one single point of time. I can only imagine from a new standpoint, having to fend all of that off and, and on one side and, and the other side, 
churn the news into the content and churn the news into improving your own processes, that that is a hundred times more intense than whatever an everyday person experiences just on their phone. So how do you take in all of this information that's happening all around the world and use that in this stressed, in, I wouldn't say stressful, but high-paced environment to make the right strategy decisions? Well, I think you just used like a really important word, which is data. And um, so I, I use data in two different ways. Um, you know, I think what's really key, I think, I think like my role is a mix of having some intuition, you know, having, having learned along the way and having some, you know, what, you know, like hypotheses of, of how things, what a strategy could look like and how, um, you know, how, how, how we can, how we can grow. But I think what that, that, what that needs to be based on is uh, data and really two forms of data. I look a lot to um, like quantitative metrics. I spend, I, I did some statistics um, back at Penn, which- um, What did you not do at Penn? Okay, sorry. <laughs> we do it all, you know? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. There are a lot of things. Um, there are a lot of classes that um, uh, I, I was not as successful at, but we can save that for our follow-up interview, Harsha. Um, but, um, <laughs> I, but I would say, um, anyway, huge numbers gal and I, I would I spend a lot of time in data and understanding how people um, people people are using products and and also spending a lot of time so that's a more quantitative um, form of data and I also spend a lot of time with qualitative data interviewing people finding out what are their pain points and pain points again are really just an opportunity of how you can unlock value for people and provide new solutions to um, to, to create really great, great product experiences for them. So I think when I think about, you know, my own strategies and, and how, how to best develop them, it's really with a sense of people at the forefront and the, the way to, to understand people and providing value for them is um, talking to them, <laughs> getting that uh, qualitative uh, insight, and then also um, looking at uh, metrics um, data and then setting metrics, you know, whenever you have a, a strategy, you know, as the phrase goes, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And those are words I live by. You can't measure it. Okay, that's a good, that's a good phrase. We should get that on a t-shirt. Very cool. Um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I think this is an important story to zoom in on. We spoke about your, your decisions, the information that you have to kind of like decide on at the New York Times. But we never spoke about how you got to the New York Times because you worked your way up from, from like starting in, then eventually uh, leaving at like the top positions in a sense. You were, I think, by the time you left one of their directors, which is crazy to think about. How do you even get into an organization like this in a way? Every, again, journalist dream, I think, would be to be in an organization like this. Um, great question. And I think for me, it wasn't a straight line. You know, I um, when I started getting into journalism at Austra in Australia, one of my friends actually for my birthday over there, they, they do this thing where you can get, um, uh, you know, like a... a copy of the front page of the newspaper um, uh, from any day. And I he, he got it for me, you know, on my, from my birthday and, you know, said, make your dreams a reality. And, you know, knowing that the New York Times was sort of always my like gold standard, holy grail. And for me, it, once I, once I found my way to journalism, that, you know, that, that was my goal. But, and I, I went to journalism school, you know, after I left Australia, I went to journalism school, um, 
and I tried to freelance, you know, for the New York Times. I um, I tried to work as a journalist at the New York Times and wasn't getting traction, you know? I, I It wasn't working, you know? And despite all of my grit and despite all of my hard work, I was trying and trying and trying to get in. Um, and, you know, I couldn't make it happen for myself at an earlier point in my career. And I ended up uh, going to work at a startup after journalism school and realized at the startup, while I loved, you know, producing journalistic stories, you know, I, I found my way into product and I just loved product. And from there went to Time Inc. and did product at Time Inc. Um, and, you know, rather than focusing at that particular point in my life on getting into the New York Times, um, I was just like, let me, let me do me and let me be great, you know, over here. So if you don't want me, <laughs> I'm just going to be great, you know, over here. And then they called, you know, um, they called me. So it's just, <laughs> I don't know, sometimes the universe has its own way of working and, um, and yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. You why. are literally the embodiment of if you love something, let it go, and if it comes back to you, it's yours. Like that—that's a beautiful way of putting it. Putting it—that's exactly what happened. And you know, love—you can't force love, um, as I learned, you know, in this journey. And 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 when when the New York Times was ready to have me and love me, you know, I. And that's the thing when 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 opportunity knocks, you know, I, I was enjoying Time Inc. But um, oh my goodness, you know, I, I, if anything, they they called me and I had to play it really cool, Harsha, and say, you know, yes, I'll sure I'll talk to you. And I actually remember just being actually, you know, very superstitious about it all. And when I was interviewing, I didn't, I kept it really low key and didn't want to tell anybody because I just didn't think it was, I didn't. I just didn't think it would pan out. You know, I, I I had tried so many times and failed. I couldn't believe that, like, oh my gosh, they wanted me. And then um I I couldn't have been more happy and excited when I actually got my offer. And you know, I, I was there for almost seven years, you know, and I, I I loved it. So I had a great, I had a great experience. I think that, that is an out of this world story. Oh my. I'm gonna have to digest that and think about all the things that I need to let go a little bit in my life right now and and and, and seeing because wow, like I guess they just weren't ready for your awesomeness and, and when they were ready, like they, they just yeah. had to call on like totally. Um getting into better. I was better, you know, when I actually did go. I, you know, while while I'm sort of a little like, you know, maybe my my younger self was a little bruised by the the earlier rejection. You know, I think when I went, it was I was I was ready, you know, and it was the role that I was supposed to be in and was really just set up for success and ready to rock and roll. So it was it was the right time, it was the right place and much more um yeah much more thrilling and fulfilling um, for all the, the blood, sweat and tears that I put into it. Building on that, very interestingly enough, getting into an organization like this is in its own, like, like right, a, a huge feat. How do you manage to grow in your career within an organization that is again, quite massive, quite, quite again, like huge and, and that everyone wants to get in in a sense in a way. So, what do you think made you stand out, made you really be able to climb up and, and as I said, grow in your role, grow to the next level? I think a couple of things. I think like one, hard work, you know, like 
just just always doing the work, being curious, being empathetic, and a you know the pe a people person. You know, you're here, you're there to work with people. Um, so those are those are traits I would say. But the other thing is just having um, you know following your intuition and having a sense of what you want to optimize for at any point of your in your career. And, you know, whether it's growing in your existing role, transitioning to another role, going up, you know, and I, I don't think that I, at every single moment, I knew the answer to that. But then I would, as soon as, I think a, a, a thing that I have, and I know other people have it too, is, you know, when you do something, you start to get a little bit bored. You know, you always want to have a little bit of that, like, nice, uncomfortable feeling, which again, I was talking about in Australia and different parts of my life, I always try to give myself a little bit of stretch. And that's actually as a manager, how I like to, you know, help, help my people and my organization grow, give them enough support. So they feel, you know, that they're set up for success and can grow, but also a little bit of stretch. So they're, so that you're a little bit out of your comfort zone and you're always, always growing and always learning. And, um, and I should say, sometimes this means going up, but sometimes it means just going into an adjacent um, area that's new and exciting and interesting and growing. Um, Meta, actually, one cool thing that was always said about like career development, you know, not always is it like a career ladder, but more often is it like a jungle gym, a career like jungle gym. Is that a very accurate way of describing like Meta? But I think, yeah, you you just sometimes I, I for me, like, moving was going up, but a lot of times it was actually, um, and that, and actually just to put a quick note on that, moving up, always advocate for yourself. And especially women, we, um, we traditionally underperform men when it comes to negotiating on behalf of ourselves. And I think like very few instances did someone just say, Nicole, you're doing great. I'm going to promote you. Um, more often did I have to really make a case for myself. And, and that was harder for me earlier in my career. Um, and then later on, it's just something I took a negotiation class at NYU, which is one of the best classes I ever took and just really learned to like, um, and even just practicing, you know, really learned to advocate for myself. But, um, and so sometimes it's going up, but then other times it's really about, you know, going to the side and saying, oh, wow, you know, this new thing is growing and is really interesting. Let me try my hand at that. And my entire New York Times career, I've worked on every part of the product portfolio. I worked on web. I worked on mobile, you know, apps. Um, I started in lifestyle products, doing things like digitizing the recipe database that now supports, you know, the cooking product. But I, but then I did a redesign of the story asset, you know, and and replatformed the story asset across um, platforms. So the the article asset that you see was the very thing that I touched, which is which gives me such tremendous pride. And also things like commerce and um, you know the messaging newsletter portfolio too. So I just really kept myself. I just you know and and again some of it was moving up, but some of it was just kind of um, staying flat from like a title perspective. And I think that really enabled me to be a better product person. Um, and actually, when I left the New York Times, I left for a chief product role, and I wouldn't have been able to do that job if I was just constantly going up in one line or area of the business. Um, it was really pulling together all of those disparate pieces that gave me the confidence and also the experience when I left the organization to say like, I've done all of these different things. 
I'm ready for this role. So, um, so yeah, you know, be a little hungry, put people at the forefront, move up, but sometimes move laterally, you know, um, giving yourself that bit of support and stretch. Um, and then third, just advocate for yourself, um, which is sort of my, my recipe for career, career success as it were. Oh my goodness. And you summarize all of that like so neatly, so like very lovely. I also wanted to touch on, and, and first of all, let, let me just go back a second and say, I, I love all of those points. I love that idea. You know, it's not a career ladder. It's more of a career jungle gym. And that sometimes that, that, that movement is necessary in a sense to gather those experiences so that you are the right person. And I think it goes back to what you said earlier, even within an organization, it's not always a straight path. It's, it's some, it's often like curves and turns. And I think that just makes you all the more richer human being and in the experiences and the, and, and the competence that you have to do the brilliant things that you're doing. One, one thing that I did see is in your chief product role after that, you, you were part of this organization that I honestly found pretty inspiring that is called, I think, do something.org. And this is a bit more of a, of an organization that's uh, a lot more in kind of like the activism world. And uh, I think storytelling there is a bit different from the regular news storytelling. You, we talked a bit about in your introduction of your passion for mission-driven storytelling. Tell us how that works for organizations or your experience going to an organization that was very mission-driven and being in charge of essentially crafting the storytelling aspect. How, how did you have to change and adapt what you were doing for an organization that was, uh, had, in a sense, had a different lens to its outlook? Yeah, I think it was a very different organization in that, you know, um, at a, at a New York Times or a journalistic institution, it's really about like informing. Um, at the end of the day, like the success looks like informing and telling stories. And do something was really about inspiring action, which are two very different value propositions, informing versus action. <laughs> and I think, you know, and, and by the way, you know, I think it's a really New York Times, like I also worked on commerce and different things where it's also about, you know, compelling people to take action too. And then the other side of the coin to do something is like, you're also informing, you're telling people so that they act. So they're really like part of a, part of a, a, a person's journey and, and experience, but they're, they're different lenses. And I think for me, um, just at the particular moment that I was in um, uh, after the, the, um, the 2018 elections, and also I'd, I had had a really great, you know, great run at the New York Times seven years. I felt like I was ready for some action though. I was ready to do something. Um, and, you know, part of what I, I, you know, came to do was really um, looking at young people and inspiring them to get registered, get out to vote. Um, and I joined Do Something right at the moment when Parkland happened. And I was just seeing what a movement young people were starting um, in America and just so inspired by young people and also just excited about the challenge to design for young people in particular, a younger audience. So, and, and the role itself, which is just, it was, it's a very different, like going from um, a huge or much bigger company like the New York Times to a, a smaller, less, you know, less than 100 people like working at this uh, company and being a leader there, being on the executive team. It was just a really great experience and, um, you know, really like left it all on the line there in the lead up to the uh, subsequent elections that happened and was just really proud of the growth that we 
we achieved there. So it's it was definitely a different lens, but um, a lens that I really welcomed at that point in my life. Oh, and I think more people should should listen to their gut like you and, and, and take on like the changes that are inspired by the things around them. So very, very interesting. And, and I think thank you for, for, you know, committing the time, making things like this happen and, and bringing your expertise to organizations like that. Tell us a little bit about your role now in Disney. Um, right off the bat, were you a Disney fan growing up? Uh, this is probably the most tough question. Promise we won't tell anyone yes or no. So I was always a Disney fan growing yes. up. Um, of course, I'm a huge Disney fan now. The breadth of storytelling and the portfolio, I pinch myself every day that I'm, I'm working at this company. Um, although my, um, my secret is that I didn't go to Disney as a kid. You know, my, my parents, um, uh, we didn't go to Disney. Um, but I, uh, I'm, I'm so excited. My kids are huge Disney fans. Um, my, my little joke is I actually think that my kids, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, and I think that they're so, they're, they may be more excited about this job. I'm very excited and they may be more excited because I think they may think that I'm sort of like Elsa on a cruise ship or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're a princess. Um, you're an official Disney princess now, yeah. <laughs> totally. So um, I'm I'm glad, um, at least in my in my in my children's eyes, that um, I'm finally the princess, uh, the, the the Elsa on the cruise ship. But it's it's great, you know. It's a real. I think the other thing is like let every job be your dream job. And I think for me, going to the New York Times was certainly my my dream job for so long. And then leaving was just like, oh my gosh, how am I leaving? Because I had this I had this one idea of what success looked like, and then it was like wow, you know, it's, it's like the boyfriend you thought you were going to marry girlfriend, whatever. And then it's, and then it's like, he, oh my gosh, here, here it is. We're breaking up. Like, where am I going to go? What's next? And, um, you know, I think for me, it's, it's been really cool, um, coming out and just every single different role kind of su just surprises me and enables me to grow. And, and this particular role, this portfolio is such a dream. It's so as a storyteller, like it's just, I, again, it's 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 a dream job, and just really humbled and excited about all 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 I get to do every day. So um, it's it's wonderful. Congratulations! I mean, nothing says dream job more than the Walt Disney Company, um, and yeah, get it the dream pun. But anyway, kind of to tie in everything together and. I'm very surprised that we've actually flown past the, like our interview time. Like I feel like there's so many stories that, that I, I'd love to hear you talk about and so many questions that I have. But as we wind down, in a sense, to wrap up, you have been someone who has done, I would say, crazy things, traveled to different places, um, set goals that people would probably not uh, think would actually come true. And at the same time, you have rocked it in every aspect of what you've done, which is truly, truly lovely to see. If you had to, I would say, go back in time to when you were at Penn, when you were here in a sense, would you do anything differently and why? Hmm. Would I do anything differently? I don't think so, you know, because it all has led me to right here. I think what I would say um, to my my 18 year old self first landing on Penn, I think is like, you know, we, we touched on this, but have fun. You know, I think some things felt so serious 
And I think it's only with the perspective of, you know, it's easy for me to say now, right? But sometimes I look back and, you know, I think I was so, um, so consumed at times with like finding a path and, and forging a way forward that I could have taken more moments to just take a beat and take a breath and just, um, which, which I did, I certainly did, you know, but I, I think I could have done it more, you know, um, because sometimes I think if you spin too much on a problem, you know, you can't force it. You can't always, you can't like, the, like my New York times example, you know, you can't, sometimes you can try really hard and you still can't make it happen. Um, and then maybe it'll come to you later or maybe it won't, but you know, try to find a way, but also try to like take the breaths, take your space, do you, and you'll come out better. You know, things are going to work out um, but ha and have some fun, truly. Well, very, very well said. And I guess I said an advice that we often take for granted a lot. So thank you for saying that. And thank you for for educating us really stressed out young kids on 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 the importance of all of the stuff that you touched on and all of the conversations that we had today i have so much fun talking to you i think you are extremely wise and really fun and i think that i i speak for our audience when i say that they had a blast listening to your experiences as well so thank you so much we can only assume and hope that you had a smidge of the fun that we had listening to your experiences and once again i really appreciate you being on the show a total pleasure and an honor thank you for having me all right and with that i think our episode for today is drawn to a close thank you once again for joining us and to our audience we love you guys thank you for listening in and as always if you enjoyed today's episode let us know drop us a like a comment an email whichever you prefer and we'll be back every thursday at 10 p.m et so till then you've been watching changing reality you're listening to changing reality changing reality where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.